The Morning Struggle podcast is brought to you by Blue Clover Therapy, a mental health counseling practice in Salt Lake City, Utah. Visit www.bluecloverTherapy.com for more information. Blue Clover Therapy, because your mental health deserves a specialist. Welcome to the Morning Struggle Podcast, where we take habits of successful people and break them down one at a time into history, science, and action plan so you can implement them into your life and build a better you. Stay tuned. So at the beginning of this one, can you put Christmas music? Can I put Christmas music at the yeah, beginning like of this one? Yeah, like spice in some Christmas music. It's not Thanksgiving yet. Um, Wait, when we, whenever we listen to this, yeah, it won't even be Thanksgiving yet. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's going to mess everybody up. It's not though. And all those quirky turkeys are going to feel left out oh, because they didn't get turkeys. their time in the sun. Yeah, I just, we're talking about money. Money today. And what goes with money? Christmas. <laughs> I mean, yes. And Black Friday, which more likely Black Friday, right? And Cyber Monday. Oh, I guess it. That's that? where you spend your money. I, we don't. We, well, we don't, but we're different. But different, or people do that, where they run. Although I hear Black Friday is not as violent as it once was. Which is too bad, because that was like kind of an American tradition. Yeah, Black like, Friday, everybody got a Grab black a TV, eye. pull the hair of your neighbor. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, that was going to be missed. I'm pretty sure Cyber Monday ruined it for everybody. Probably the internet ruins oh, everything for it everybody. It really does. Well, welcome everybody to the Morning Struggle Podcast. Welcome, guys. I'm Ty. I am Jesse. And uh, today we're talking about... Money, 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 money. So we're gonna I'm talk. Throw is so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. You just have like the the deep raspy voice. Ooh, sexy voice. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about uh, not how to get money. That's what no. everybody wants to know. How do how do you get money? Right. But what your relationship with money really should be. Yeah, and we're gonna particularly go over kind of the negative relationship that we tend to have. Right. Right. And so, what happens? Right. So spoiler alert: this we're not gonna tell you how to become millionaires. Sorry. So if you do the other habits successfully, yeah. odds are money will start flowing into your life. Well, yeah. Like Mo- if money, it, money is essentially just a byproduct of productivity. Is like, yeah, if you're happy and you have purpose and you're doing what you want, the stress levels go down and things seem to work out anyway. Yeah, so just kind of comes in your life. So yep. anyway, uh, should we get right into history, science, and action plan of money? Yeah, are you going to tell me all about all of the monies? I'm going to talk just talk. I'm just going to go through. I'm going to list the currencies of the world <laughs> the based on the U.S. dollar. It's going to be very boring, but and dry and dry. Yeah, but that's what we do with finances. This day in history. No, we're we're going to try to keep this money very light and fun, because money can get very complicated and very boring. And anybody who is a, in the financial market or the stock market or anything like that knows that it is. Just mind-boggling how many different avenues money can take. There's a lot of different money podcasts. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it, it, it consumes us because let's talk about what money is and then let's talk about the history of money real quick. Mm-hmm. So money is essentially just a medium of exchange. So a long oh. time ago, I had a cow. I wanted wheat. Let's, cha- let's trade. I give you a cow. You give me wheat. It's just a medium of exchange. People would barter to obtain goods and services they needed. Okay. So I didn't have to... I didn't have to milk my cow and grow the wheat and fix the wheel on my wagon, you know, and build right. spears. Like I people could true. do individual, start spears specializing. Spears and wagons? Like yeah. what the spear and wagon live? trade was like <laughs> the original Walmart of its Slash day. Slash cows. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you didn't have to do all of these categories, especially as we started to become civilized and went into like an agriculture society. Oh, okay. So it's very hard. A nomadic person can just wander and forage for food, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're going to be in a society, it's very hard to do all the things to survive, especially when you start specializing. Yes, fair. Makes sense? So you have something, someone else has something, you guys trade, so then you can start mass producing what you do. I could see how that would come into an issue, though. Why, why would it come into issue? Because, like, let's say I have an entire cow and I got to have Philip fix my wagon wheel slash spear repair. How much is your cow worth? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so that is essentially the Federal Reserve and, and monetary policy. That's essentially like oh. the value of the dollar. And so that's what where we got. So we decided instead of, hey, me having to come to you and my cow is worth you know, a whole acre of your wheat. I don't need a whole acre of your wheat. You know, how can I, how can we come up with a better system? And that's where currency came up, came in. Nice. So the first one's a commodity currency. And that's a currency that's backed by a good. So that'd be like a gold and silver commodity, right? I have something valuable, like a coin. That's already valuable. That's already valuable in its own right because it's rare. And I can use that as my currency. Like diamonds. Yeah. So this is like precious metals such as gold. This could also be like durable goods like pots. Mm. use pottery, beads, things like that. Oh, neat. Um, the next neat. one's a, a fiat money. And fiat money is what we have now. And it does not require backing by a physical commodity. So the value of fiat currencies is set by supply and demand of the people's faith in its worth. Because oh. a dollar bill is just kind of, it's actually made out of fabric, not yeah. paper, but it's its a fabric bill right. that is not worth 20 US dollars, right? Right. You can't like take that apart in its raw material and be like, there, hey, this is $20 worth of fabric. Right. That's not going to work, right? So it's just our belief that that bill, which has the same amount of fabric as a one and a 10 and a 20 and a 100, is worth what it says oh, on it. That's a fiat currency and that's a faith-based currency. Right. So I have to believe that the government and other people are going to say, yeah, that bill you have is worth 20 ducks. <laughs> say, here's my, here's my bill. You give me 20 ducks. Because if people start saying, Hey, I don't care about that, that, that money, especially right. when like governments, you know, topple or there's a coup, there's a the, breakdown, the, the, yeah. there's a breakdown in the money. Um, you know, what happened in India, you know, they, yeah. they went away from their paper money. So that also becomes worthless. And now you have essentially a worthless good, right? That's a fiat currency that you have traded in or you've worked for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, let's go into the history. 9,000 BC. This was the early man would, would barter goods. So right. this is about 10,000, 9,000, 8,000 BC. We start farming, right? Right, right. We start living as groups and we stop becoming nomads. So this is where we start bartering. Uh, 1100 BC in China, they actually started making like replicas of the bartering good in bronze. Oh, that's so cute. So you'd like you'd like cast a little cow and then you would hand the little bronze cow to somebody. Like a monopoly. Like a monopoly piece. Aww. And that had the value. Of a make, cow. Like this a, is the value of a cow. Exactly. Wow. That makes sense. That's so, adorable. Let's bring that back. Yeah. Like uh, a little Shopkins. A little a little Shopkin cow. So then then we're talking six hundred BC, uh the first official currency came into play and that was uh, minted by king uh aliatis of lydia and it's like modern day turkey oh that, i that see okay area. and it was just a metal coin that was the oh, no, first joke. like went coin metal, style. metal coin and then they become more and more round as time goes on right just because it's it's practical to carry round coins a lot yeah. of times you'll see them they'll they'll have a stamp on it or they'll punch a, a very specific hole in the middle of it so you can't you know, so you can, it, it becomes more. Oh, you can't create uniform. money. So yeah, you can't, you can't like try to copy it. 
But I mean, a lot of these times they're they're precious metal, so you can kind of tell. Oh, if I guess it's that's precious true. Metal. Yeah. But then there's always like the tin penny, you know, where you make something out of a cheaper metal that looks like the. Or when people metal. were shaving off the sides of pennies, and that's why they put the ridges. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they would take the precious metal off of it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 1200 BC, um, this is in India. They would use shells. What? Like seashells? Like actual seashells, a specific seashell as their currency. What? So one really good day at the beach and you become a millionaire. Exactly. Well, what, what is gold mining? Oh, I guess that's it's true, a yeah. really good day at the beach, right? right. Or, or in the mountains. So, and then not a lot happens until like the 1200s AD. So this is Everybody's we just, just cool with we what kinda, we got seashells. We kind of have and... precious metal coins, um, and then it, in about twelve hundred AD, twelve fifty AD, the Florians. This is in Florence, mm-hmm. uh, in Italy. They they produce their money, and it becomes widely accepted oh. all across Europe and into Asia. Everybody's so now cool you could it. have a, a Florentine, a a, a floor of coin from Florin, a coin from Florence, okay. and it would be you would be able to buy it. Like that'd be us oh. taking our U.S. dollar over to United Kingdom, and they say, "Yeah, we'll take your U.S. dollar," right? Because right. my U.S. dollar might be worth zero dollars in another country. They yes, don't, they don't care. It's not their currency. Well, right. the, the florin was the first time it was like international trade and acceptance. Oh, that's huge. Yep. Um, and then Marco Polo went to China in 1290 A.D., and China had already created paper money. Oh, China's always ahead of us. They're always ahead of us. So Marco Polo comes back and says, okay, we don't have to carry a big sack of gold coins, which weigh a ton. We can create paper money. Mm -hmm. And everybody says, awesome. Let's do it in 400 years. Okay. So in 1661, (laughs) paper money kind of started to catch on. And it was printing like Sweden was one of the first ones to print notes in Europe. Oh, gotcha. All right. So uh, 1860 AD. So then let's fast forward a little bit. We got paper money is becoming more of a prevalent thing. Right. Um, And that's why like the u.s has one supplier of its printed money well yeah yeah so just one person prints all of the u.s's money his name's phil and it's it's kind of like a family-run business oh is it yeah and it's essentially a a textile mill because it's it's made of cloth right that's why that's why a dollar you can like crumple up and like wash and it doesn't disintegrate yeah you do the same thing to a piece of paper and it's gone well and i know that only a certain amount of bills get replaced every so often and like it's a big so, deal. It's yeah. a big deal. Uh, 1860 AD, um, Western Union came up with the first e-money. What? Yeah, 1860. Western Union? Yeah. Oh. How, it was the telegram. Oh. You could send money via telegram. Oh, and that seems a, sketchy as all get out. You, you can't you even remember use... sending a... Oh, boop, 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 boop. That's I why remember. Western Union still sends money. It's just in oh. the internet now. But that oh. was their, there was their thing. You could send money on a telegram. Yeah. Uh, 1946, John Biggins invented the credit card. Or is the sorry the charge it card? Charge it. So that was a that was a big deal. I guess like the Flintstones got to use it. Yeah, charge it. We used to use that big machine that would you know and oh. it'd like do the do the thing. But I guess that when it first came out, there were all sorts of problems. Oh, I can't even imagine. Card. Yeah. Well, just, and then you have to take a copy of the card. Yeah. Like it just seems like a really bad system. I I understand that that was the stepping stone to get. And now right you now. can just take your watch and boop boop boop. Yep. But holy uh, cow! Nineteen ninety nine was the first electronic banking or the mobile banking. Um, not electronic. That but mobile was the banking. first mobile. God, we're on, so old. On the on the Nokia's. Remember the like, little Nokia phones? <laughs> that thing. So like in our a, lifetime, uh-huh. all of these things have been invented. Yep. And so, then we get to tell our kids. Yep. The first electronic banking. Two thousand eight. The first contactless chip uh, was issued in the UK. Oh, cool. So that was like the first, you know, like swipe to pay, not swipe to pay, but like tap to the pay. The tap to pay. Yeah. Uh huh. Two thousand eight. Uh, 2014, constant man for ways 
To ensure business can trade easily, new innovations became introduced, such as the smartphone, Bitcoin, and we should do other an episode mobile, on like peer-to-peer stuff, like Venmo. Oh, Venmo! People like Venmo. Yep. I don't understand Bitcoin at all. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want a, you to explain it to okay. me. Okay. All right. <laughs> but it's but it's interesting that that's even a thing. Like I don't. Yeah. Bitcoin is magic. It's magic. And if you have some, you're a millionaire. That's, your that's like essentially it. I think that's you what it is. You can buy endless pizzas. Yeah. So anyway, so that's the history of money. So when you think of money that way and not as like you would never, I don't know, I would never think of like like cattle as something like I need to essentially bury myself in work endless hours forever and ever so I could have eight cows. Like you would never oh, think about point. it that way, but yeah. like you're like, if I just work 80 hours this week, I can get that promotion and get, you know, a $10,000 raise. Like right, money right. is really interesting in that, in, in our, you'll talk about it in science right. and how it functions in our brain. It just, we've lost that, what money actually is. It's mm-hmm. essentially just a medium of exchange. If you already have everything you, you pretty much need or want, why do you need more of this medium of exchange? Right. Why do you need more little brass cows? Yeah. If you have a million dollars or a hundred million dollars, are right. you are you buying million dollar, you know, something toys? You know, like it's not that big of a deal if you if you don't need to exchange those. Right. But we like to hoard it. Like people want to hoard hoard that that money because yeah. it's it's precious and it's well rare. and security. It's security, and, yeah. I, and I get it. We do need money, and money is a very important right. But it's interesting that we work ourselves to death and we deteriorate our relationships over it. Yep. And. I mean, it, it's little brass cows. And it's it's little brass cows. Yeah. And if I had more brass cows, I'd be happier. Exactly. So, like, anyway. would you? Yeah. So anyway, but that's what we'll talk about in science. That's all I got for history. Any questions on history? That's amazing. There's going to be a test later on. So. It is good. No, nothing? <laughs> nope. All right. So let's get right into the science of what money does to our brains. So what's really interesting about money is it plays tricks on our brain. Okay. Tricky, tricky. Tricky, tricky. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's see. So 52% of people consider themselves financially insecure. And basically what, what that means is it's, that's not like we've looked at people's bank accounts. It's that people just feel... Like, like they don't have enough. They don't have enough, and and I would I would say it's probably higher, way higher than yes. that. But but in general, like they're concerned about, they think about money a lot. They lose sleep over well, it. People admit to it on a survey. On a survey, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because other people, like if you're, let's say you're a millionaire, and you're maybe you have mixed emotions about your money, you're not gonna be like, oh, I'm worrying about money, my million dollars, right. going to my island. Like right. it's like actually millionaires don't have islands, but. Multi-millionaires. Yeah, right. multi-millionaires do. But what's do. what's interesting, so we have that 52% mark, only about 34% of people really can't make their basic needs within the three-month period. So you got, you know, 24% of people, well, 52, right? It's 52 and 34. That's math. Okay. Yeah, that's too much. Too much math for you. So you have, <laughs> you have 18% of that, that gap. That actually can meet their their needs, but right. still feel insecure about money. And for three months. Now, when we start gapping it into like, can't meet their basic needs within the month, it, it really goes up. Okay. Like that percentage goes up if we're, in, you know, putting those all together. And so this idea that we feel financially insecure, that we don't have enough is not accurate. So that logical and emotional brain don't line up with money. And we've talked about the logical and the emotional brain, and they're at odds a lot of times. 
Yeah, they don't make sense because they give us bad decisions. Yeah, because like we will, we will be able to make our basic needs for the month, but we'll be like, man, I really want that bigger house. Yeah, and so it's one of those things where we're always on to the next thing, and we've talked about the. I always say the hedonic, hedonic, the hedonic treadmill, um, where we're always wanting the next thing. Money plays with us in our head in that same fashion where we think we need more. We need a little more brass or bronze cows. I can't remember what you said, but some sort of mini cow in a shopkin form. So what happens is that suddenly we feel financially insecure, not necessarily true but we feel financially insecure and what happens is the blood flow and the electrical activity reduce in the frontal and prefrontal cort or um yeah pre frontal and prefrontal lobes our rationing side of our brain all the, the really important one all the really important parts that make it where we can make good decisions reduce so we go to reptilian brain and that's why we punch our neighbor for the cheap tv on Black yes, Friday. On Black Friday. Right. Yes. Okay. And and the, the amygdala, specifically that fight, flight, freeze releaser of, oh, we're in trouble, the house is on fire kind of deal, um, that actually gets stronger. Okay. So the more that you think about money and the more, and I feel like we've discussed something similar to this, but the more that you think about money, the more insecure you feel about money, that amygdala gets fired more often, you use it more often, you're exercising that part of your brain. The frontal and prefrontal lobes don't get as much um, blood flow and electrical activity and therefore are not worked out. And you become a money monster. You become a money like monster. A, like a monster, like fighting people and snarling, wearing a top hat and a monocle. <laughs> I get it. Whoa. I know. Okay. That's, that went real. But, yeah. but the thing is, is that you, your problem solving goes away. Your, your ability to concentrate. So think about this. Like the guy who's trying to hit up 80 hours in a workday, if he's doing that because he's worried about money... He's unable to to concentrate as well and therefore will be less effective at his job. And so he will have to probably work 80, which he could have probably done in 60 or even 40. If he wasn't focused on money. If he wasn't worried about the money element. Wow, yeah. So it does this spin in your brain. And I mean, it's easier to be like, don't worry about money. Yeah, easier said than done. Yeah, but, but we want to be able to figure out how to control that part of our brain and that thought process because... Are, it starts to deteriorate. So 38% of people who feel financially insecure, right, also meet criteria for a DSM diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder. Which makes sense because, you know, it makes you anxious. Your, your frontal cortex and your prefrontal cortex shut down, so you can't make proper decisions. Your amygdala right. fires, which gives you fight, flight, freeze, yep. which already is going to give you a heightened anxiety Cortisol response, all the good stuff. Right. So it makes sense that it, and then it perpetrates or it propagates itself. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then you're like, why am I so upset? I don't need it. I could just got paid. Everything's fine. And you can't figure out what that trigger is. It's because we've already developed the amygdala part of the brain. And so the prefrontal cortex and the frontal cortex aren't going to really fire. Like we haven't done anything to develop that part, but we have really worked out the amygdala. Okay. So it, like you said, it, it falls on itself and then you continue to exercise that part of your brain. Wow. Okay, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I cut you off. No, no, no. I no. Go ahead. I was I, just gonna say, are we gonna talk about how to fix that in the action plan? Nope. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, like, of course nope, we are. Good luck. Like, sorry, buds. Um. So, but then the next part of this is that at some point you worry enough where that prefrontal cortex and that frontal cortex actually shut down. They just don't. You don't even need them anymore. You're like Screw they're, it. they're atrophied, and you don't. You yeah. don't need a fire. So what's really interesting is we start getting into the amygdala, where fight, flight, freeze, and then this really interesting phenomenon happens. It's financial denial. 
Okay, let's so explain this to me. Yeah, so about 38% of people within that 52% of financial insecurity end up going into financial denial. And I would say more than that during the Christmas season because there's all kinds of social constructs around this. So what happens is that suddenly you don't care what your finances are. You don't care what financially you have going on. And you start just going out and getting what you want anyway. So this is credit card debt. We're this saying, is credit we're card saying. debt. Yeah. Okay. This is where we are like not even selling one thing because that takes forethought, but we are just charging things. We're buying random things we don't need. We start hoarding things. Okay. Like we're getting lots of brass cows at that point and we don't give a crap what how we're getting them. Now, do we go in and out of financial denial or like once we're in it, we're pretty much just in it for until we're out of it? Well, so what usually happens is because we also have life, um, you get those statements. Okay, so and then, then it brings you back. Yeah, but you, it doesn't you know, bring you back in a, hey, let's figure stuff out. You're a good person. Let's let's work hard. Fires up your anxiety. Anxiety, um, shame, embarrassment, jealousy. It fires all of these really bad emotions. Which makes you want to go back to shutting down the prefrontal cortex and the frontal cortex. Yes. Which makes your amygdala fire, which makes you more anxious, which makes you go out and have more financial denial. Yeah. So isn't that like the worst cycle ever? Totally bad, yeah. Yeah, and and so, I mean, you can do this for years and years and years until at some point you you stop. And that's why financial, like if you listen to a financial podcast, which I do not, you do. So by happenstance, I just happen to be in the area. They also talk about like sound of mind elements and like how to like, I don't remember which one it was, but talking about like where you have some sort of physical way of viewing your goals. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and that's just... Just written goals, yeah. Yeah, it's mindfulness and, and being able to like recheck in more often because you, if you're doing this on a monthly basis where you are feeling financially insecure, um, maybe you're using substances to try to dumb that down a little bit so you can't, or tap it down so you don't have to feel as much. And then suddenly all of that goes out anyway. And then you go spend you know, 500 bucks, whatever. Right. And then you get that statement and you get that reality check smacked across your head. Right. Right. Then you're going to be in this like state of anxiety and panic. And then again, every single month and people do this over and over. It's a cycle. Yeah. That's why you write, you write down like your goals, your objectives, your actions, you write them down because during the time you're anxious, you can't, you can't process all that information. Right. So you need essentially a roadmap. Right. You need a stop sign, a physical stop sign. Because if, like, inter- if you go to the intersection, you should look around and be like, are there any cars? No, I'm going to go through. Right. You don't do that. That's why the stop sign is there to be like, oh, I'm supposed to stop here so I don't hit everybody. Right. Same thing. You, you have all of those goals and action plans written down. So you say, I'm freaking out. And then you read it and you're like, oh, I need to save 15% of my income. Okay, we're good. I need yeah. to make sure I pay off my credit card every month. Okay, let's not go spend anymore. Like well, those and, kind of deals, right? Yeah. And even having a list of things that you can do that in which you are not spending money. Like staying oh. home and doing a Netflix thing or Going like, for a run. yeah, just those thing, kind of things that, that are, don't create money. And that's why I, I mean, if people are really struggling, get a financial advisor because they will be like, stop it. Right. Like the, you got it. And it's a, just a rational mind staring you down the barrel being like, you got to stop. Like right. this is not going to work. So, so really financial, you need a mental element in order to get out of that cycle. Okay. And then this interesting fact that has nothing to do with anything. Households spend about $1,000 more than they intended um, around the holiday season. I can see that for $1, sure. $1,000 yeah. that they had no way to plan or conceptualize. Yeah. Like it wasn't gifts. It wasn't like, it, I mean, just $1,000. 
Target didn't have a huge financial turnaround because people are being rational when they walk Target. in that store. Oh my gosh, yeah, I, I love know. Target so much. You can't leave without $100 worth of stuff. Yeah, and 18 hours of your time. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a time warp in there for you. Anyway. I love it right. so much. So there you go. Yeah. So, so that is really interesting stuff, what actual money does to our brains. Yep. So let's go do a quick coffee segment, and then we're going to get back into action plan, and we're going to talk about how to nip those behaviors and those we gotta stop. emotions in the bud and get on the straight path. Yep. Okay, here we go. I drank pots and pots and pots and pots of strong black coffee trying to keep my sleepy soul awake. But the sleepiness still comes along and when it does, it's fast and strong. I end up with a bad case of the shakes. Coffee segment. So in line with our money and financial episode, we're going to talk about the financial ramifications of coffee. Oh my gosh. And I'm going to do a big cliff, not cliffhanger, but a big twist, story twist at the end. What? So we're just going to talk about America and American coffee. Not American coffee, but America's consumption of coffee. Okay. Yes. So $225.2 billion is the total economic output of the coffee industry in the United States. That's 2015. So an additional $6 billion was spent on ancillary goods, coffee machines, filters, you know, your little uh, Nespresso, whatever kind of stuff. Which your mom has. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they're, it's cute. It's cute and expensive. And that's yeah. why it's $6 billion. Yes. <laughs> uh, coffee accounted for 1.6% of the United States GDP, gross domestic product. Holy that's man. the entire economy. 1.6%. That I is see a it. huge, huge number. Um, $68.5 billion was generated for incomes for people. In the United States. Oh, like people worked for the coffee industry? That is right. Industry? Okay. Yep. Consumers spent $74.2 billion on coffee. Just at the Shepherd House. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's it pretty interesting. It created 1.7 million jobs. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So those are your, your baristas and your roasters and everybody. Yeah. Uh, that's just in the US. Which but, being a barista, I just want to say, is an art. It's, it is an art. It yep. absolutely is an art. And then 76% of people said they drank a cup of coffee. What? So that's so the worst survey ever. Three quarters you of people drink coffee this morning. Well, yes, and then we high a lot five. Of people <laughs> don't drink coffee, so seventy-six percent of people. That's a huge percentage of the population that consume a good. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, that's why Starbucks is on every single corner. Well, yes. Well, and I think it's funny how even as people we we have products that depict coffee too. Like we have bags and we have bookmarks and such that depict coffee beans. It's like. Really? We worship you, this enough? You have a phone, or your phone case was a coffee... It was a little coffee bean... A little bean coffee espresso, or espresso cup thing. latte thing that you would turn your phone, and it would look like you were drinking it. Yeah, it was super cute. Ridiculous. Just ridiculous, <laughs> this consumerism. Uh, but here is the big twist. Here's the big twist. Guess how much a coffee grower... These are the farmers in some of our oh, poor no, countries. Oh, no, this is going to break my heart, isn't it? Guess how much they get for per... We'll say kilogram, which is 2.2 pounds. Okay. Which is essentially... Two or the the bigger the sixteen ounce bags, yeah, yeah, of yeah. coffee beans, okay. or like almost three of the regular ones you get at the grocery store. Guess how much they get per kilogram of coffee beans? Uh, fifty bucks, twenty bucks. I don't know. So $6. ten to fifteen burr, and this was Ethiopian farmers. So ten to fifteen burr, which is around fifty to seventy cents. Oh, are you kidding me? And then that bag sells. Oh, I feel the, worse. Like those now. bags would probably cost forty bucks. At a, a retail store. Oh, okay. So that's a pretty big markup. Yeah. That's why they're... So anyway, there's your sad note. Oh my gosh. Why would you end on that? Um, 
but in a good a good note <laughs> that these farmers are rated to be some of the happiest people in the world, according to my survey that I just <laughs> did of looking at this gentleman who's smiling on the internet. Oh, that's cute. There you go. You know what though? Um, I I feel like there is a a little bit of a turning point. I know I have to research the crap out of this about how people are being treated well in there. Yeah, in this industry, and that's why you want fair trade coffee. You, oh, you want gotcha. coffee growers that are getting paid a decent wage so they can sustain their family and their farm and they're not because it's it is a lot poorer countries so you can yeah it's like you know the sweatshops uh for our clothing in yeah. you know, lower asian countries yep so it's the same thing you want to if, if we pay a little bit more or we, the corporations cut their profits a little bit right we can make these farms more sustainable we can give these people better lives so i'm okay spending two extra dollars on my bag of coffee yeah, that's not a problem. If it means that, that that family can be more prosperous. Okay, I'm going to research this more. Fair trade coffee. Make, make sure. So anyway, okay. there you go. So that's our coffee segment. Nice and quick. I like it. And now we're going to get back to us because we're super selfish. Mm-hmm. And coffee growers, they're on their own. Let's figure out how I cannot <laughs> get into more awful. credit card debt. <laughs> it's true though, right? But anyway, no, in all seriousness, let's, let's figure this out for us so we can be more financially responsible and we can get less anxiety with, with money. Let's hope you make the most of it, my boy. First and foremost, I want you to go to therapy. Is that a plug? And it's no, it's not a plug. I want because we have one office. I know, I know. <laughs> but but I want you to go to therapy, and this is why everyone has adopted some form of idea of money. Okay. Right. And so whether you grow up poor and you had no food, money has a charged element there. If you grew up with a lot of money and you always had your needs all met and everything, that's an a, an idea of money. I want you to completely understand what your thoughts on money are. Okay. Because we have to know what we're battling here. You got to know your enemy. Right. Exactly. So we, I want you to, to very thoroughly understand yours and then where you're at currently. Maybe you don't have a job that gives you as much money as you had growing up. How does that make you feel? You know, what, where are you at financially and how that affects you mentally? Okay. Cool. Because it affects everybody. It, absolutely. 100%. Because this is a need that we all have to, we all have to have this. Right. Because that's how we get our house and our car and our food. Right. So it's a big, yeah, I guess not a car necessarily, but a, definitely a house and food, right? Shelter, food, water. Yep. And then the second part of this, I want you to logically and emotionally break this down. This is a good way to filter out the basic ideas where logically I know that I have enough money. I can make all my bills emotionally. I want to make sure to, you know, retire when I'm 30, yeah. right? Where do you put your negative emotions? Like, I want the bigger house that I may not need. That's right. I want that the emotional faster car one. that I don't need to race. Right. You know? Okay. Well, and you, and you can do that where even there's like sections. So it'd be like, I want a, a new car. Okay. I don't need a new car. Logically, my car is just fine and probably last two or three years more. Right. 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 So I break all of those things down and just understand where you're actually at. Right. Because it's going to be imperative to the next section where you're coming up with a rational budget. Okay. So you have to understand exactly how much you need and then that surplus of what gives you the things that you want in life. And then you're going to prioritize those. Like if I really want to go to a yoga class all the time, I will prioritize that into my excess because that's a privilege. I'm sorry, guys. Like, yeah, you, to, to be able to like, spending. like, I can't have my gym membership anymore. Yeah. Oh, privilege. Like, right. come on now. So like those basic needs and then the the privileged fun things that you want to do that make life worth living. That's Uh great. Um, And then the excess that you find yourself doing, like, like when I get anxious, I want to go shopping. Right. Like I want to go purchasing and yeah. And well, and I'll, and I'll even like get a lot of good, like food goods. I want to store food goods. 
right? Mm -hmm. I know that about myself. And now when I'm anxious, I don't go to the grocery store. Right. Because I'm going to buy a bunch of, I don't know, chicken broth. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, just the, the case lot thing. sale. Yeah. But like, yeah, we'll have 18,000 cans of tuna in the basement. Yeah. And it's so odd, but yeah. it's like, oh, I was really anxious that day. And that's why I bought a bunch of tuna. Right. Right. Okay. So we, we want to know what we actually need, what makes life worth living, and then how to uh, make sure that we don't do the things that are negative or that affect our, our budget negative. And I also want you to get supports. So if within a couple or a partnership, you should understand each other's finances um, or your together finances and the hiccups that you have. Like you like to order things online. Right. I'm an right? online guy. Right? Yeah. So that's going to be your hiccup. I'm going to go to the grocery store when I'm anxious. But right? then we, if we have that written explanation of what's going on yeah. in our logical and emotional, right. then we can support each other. And, and when you see me on the air, say, hey, remember... So let's not purchase anything. Or I, I know, hey, I got a support structure. Hey, I really want to purchase something right now. Right. And you say, okay, look at your list. Is it a, is it a, a, do is that a necessity or is that a want? And do we have the discretionary spending for that want? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's really narrowing that down and understanding that. Get a financial advisor is a good or an accountant. I don't know what they're called because I don't listen to. Certified professional accountant. A CPA. Yep. Oh, oh, look at that. Okay. Yeah. So get one of those guys. Because they'll tell you exactly what's up. Um, but but really have a good understanding and what you need. Like, be really honest with yourself. Right. Okay? Um, and, and that's where we're going to go. And that is how you exercise your prefrontal and your frontal lobes so that amygdala is not the only thing firing during money. By doing money. those r rational written responses. Yep. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Yep. So. And, then, and then I want to leave on this note. For, for me personally, money is a side effect. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's the, it, it, it comes into your life because of your pr productivity at work or your entrepreneurship skills or whatever. If, if you just chase just that money, yep. it never comes. No. But if you chase that being really productive or really successful in, in a certain area, it just kind of like seems like, at least for us, it just then the money starts coming. Right. You know, but when you're really focused on it, you never have enough. You're always strapped. When you're really focused on your goal and objectives to become a better person, things to you be love. more productive, things you love, things you want to put into this world, yep. that money just kind of like comes with it. It's just a side effect. Right. And then you don't have to worry about it. So, yep. and we, we got that from like a lot of Richard Branson books and, you know, Elon Musk. I really books. like they, Richard they, Branson. They really don't chase just the money. Yes. It's, it's there, but it's definitely a side effect. Yes. So, all right. So, we're going to go out there. We're going to do our assessment of money. Yep. We're going to get our prefrontal and our frontal cortex refiring. Yes. And we're going to build better use. Thank you, guys.